So this is the pilot episode for the Creatorpreneur podcast. We haven't got an intro spiel yet. We've just been discussing that. Mm-hmm. Um, we are the two hosts, myself, Angus Parker and George Blackman. What do you want out of this podcast? Um, I think like probably a lot of podcast hosts is pursuing an interest in something in which we are kind of involved. Um, I kind of want to know more about people uh, like our boss um, yeah. and people like us who work for people like our boss. Yeah. Um, that being creatorpreneurs, people who've turned their creative side hustle, side hustle into a business, um, which has kind of created this new layer of jobs into which we have kind of fallen, which is working for those mm. creators. Um, and so really knowing more about what it is that they did to get from turning something into uh, something that was just they were doing for fun into something more scalable and something that was earning them money. Uh, and then from people like us, I'd like to know how it is that they found these kinds of jobs and what it, which skills they leveraged in order to find a place within the creator economy in mm. general. Yeah, I think it'd be interesting to look back on this discussion, hopefully in a year or two years time, mm. we've interviewed a number of people to think about what we wanted from it when yeah. we initially started. Because um, I mean, I have very similar ambitions in terms of talking with very interesting people about this particular area, because fundamentally, it often feels like sometimes we're on a bit of an island mm. when we look at the people probably in our social circles, mine being particularly small, but even so, <laughs> people around us working in kind of very corporate, old, traditional jobs. Yeah, yeah. And this whole area of the creator economy and this working for a work, like we work for a YouTuber, mm. which is weird. Mm. Like that is fundamentally odd. Mm. When you talk to your relatives, talk to your parents, and you say you work for a YouTuber, I mean, some of, I mean, to be fair, my parents are very obliging of it, but there are some relatives who are like, what, what are you doing? Yes. And I think that is interesting in itself in terms of both discussing it with other people who are in this area mm. and bringing that to other, the wider audience, the wider public, yes. to make them aware that this thing exists and is not a fad. It is actually something that can provide a reasonable income yeah. and a reasonable business. You know, this business turned over nearly $5 million last year, which is just mad mm-hmm. when you think about it. Um, and so I think that's kind of what I want to get out of it is just to raise raise awareness sounds like a really silly way of <laughs> charitably trying to frame this all. But I, I guess it's just, it's just bringing it to, shining a spotlight on this kind of area. And again, not shining a spotlight on the creative economy. Enough people have done that, but shining a spotlight on the fact that this is a legitimate area of the modern economy and it's not just something that is something that a few influencers are doing on the side. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think there is that perception, especially you mentioned influencers, like they're not really doing anything. Mm. That word, influencer can mean a lot of things, I suppose. But I think the kind of, what that triggers is images of people on the beach yeah. somewhere um, showing off. Mm. And it actually is can be a lot more than that if you yeah. think of someone like a tech influencer like mr who's the boss it's far from that it's it's about providing value and i think you're right showing that that influencing is a legitimate way of providing value and that it's a legitimate way of yeah earning a living i suppose mm. so i guess if we ever do release this episode mm. it would be good to get a bit more of an understanding of who we are mm. so who are you who am i <laughs> 
how long have you got? Um, well, my name's George. Uh, I am a writer here within this whole whatever this is. Um, you, you hired me. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I suppose it's still, it's weird getting used to calling myself one because I think that elicits the image of... Uh, a, a writer. A, a, yes. A, a sort of struggling artist at a typewriter yeah. trying to write novels or, uh, you know, writing scripts for TV or movies or whatever. Or, or, you know, whereas in this modern way, writing is primarily going to be done on the internet in whatever fashion it is, whether you're writing for yourself, whether you're writing social media copy for yourself or for mm. other people or, or whatever it looks like. Um, and so I, that's my, my thing, I suppose. Yeah. I've always written in some way. Um, I spent a lot of time at university writing, uh, well, for my degree partly, but also spent a lot of time doing comedy. Um, and that's really where those skills came into play. Um, and to be honest, that, if you remember is what I leveraged pretty hard for this job because there wasn't at the time it seemed like it was a silly little thing that you would just do on the side of your degree and I think that was generally the perception was that doing a society at university is fun but it's very easy to make fun of other people in other societies doing things yeah um and I think particularly if you're doing if you're a university comedy society that evokes a certain image of a certain quite unpopular person um, who doesn't really have much to do. They're probably not going to be particularly amusing. Uh, and so... Um, I disagree with that slightly. Yeah, but you went to Cambridge and you guys have a good one. And in fairness, York had a good one. Um, it's, uh, you know, waves. Sometimes good, sometimes bad. Uh, but certainly like... I think at the time I assumed it was going to be quite a closed bubble and that it would be something that was fun to do at the time, but ultimately wouldn't really turn into anything. Mm. Um, but that is then what I, I realized looking back, hang on, I've written a lot of stuff. I've written a lot of scripts for things. I have a, you know, a fairly decent understanding of YouTube on a small individual scale, having done YouTube videos there, having made YouTube videos when I was younger. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of what I... Uh, really lent into when I was applying for this because I realized I've actually been writing things for a fair amount of time. Mm. You had that like innate creative flair, I mm. guess. Well, flair the comedy. is very generous. Uh, but potentially, I, I, I mean, I mean, check out our TikTok and yeah. see. I suppose there's, there's something. There's, I don't know what it is, but we're... And you're still doing stuff with your comedy partner right yeah i'd say we're at least prolific in terms of putting stuff out yeah. um and some of it i think is, is really good some of it is okay and but i think that was the that's what doing that for so long that's how it affected me in terms of i, I felt more confident after two or three years of doing it mm. in saying i think i can do this well because not everything's good by a long stretch um you know we we don't use 90 percent of the stuff we write but because we got prolific and because we were making sure we were writing stuff every week and we've managed to get back into that now you know that there's enough stuff that you produce that's going to be worth doing and once you've tried that out on stage a few times you, you start to think okay nine out of ten times we've done this sketch people have really loved it and that's so we wrote a good thing and that reinforcement has led to a point where I, yeah i start to think okay no i can i can write things 
he can write things. We are good. We are good writers. Um, and so that gave me the confidence, I think, to lean into that when I was applying to get into this. Just the reaction you get for comedy specifically, just the reaction you get from the audience play a big part in how you perceive yourself as a creator? Uh, y- yes, I think that's probably quite a common thing um, because some, you can be in the position, I was the, how I was just describing it, where you start to think, no, I'm, I'm good at this. Mm. And then you have a show where 10 people show up, five people leave halfway through and you leave the building thinking, what was I thinking? I mm. am clearly no good at this. 50% of the audience went. Um, and, but I think that's the thing. It, it, if you are being consistent with putting things out there, it's easy to then get back on track and think, no, no, that was an outlier. I am quite good at this, at, you know, sometimes at least. Um, but it is hard not to be affected by it in that way and to think, oh, no, that wasn't great. For example, even, you know, working here, naturally some of the stuff that we've written hasn't gone through. Yeah. And it is easy initially when something gets cancelled or, you know, scrapped. That's the same thing. That is a tautology. I don't know why I said mm. two different words for the same thing. Um, you go home thinking, ah, well, Angus thinks that hiring me was a big mistake. Why did he hire me? I bet he's wondering that now as he goes home. Uh, so maybe that's just a thing about people who create stuff. Mm. It's easy to feel like you're being judged by the very last thing you put out. It's interesting that there's that kind of imposter syndrome and a sense of being judged, not just from the creator, but also those who are working for them. Yeah. Yeah. And you've experienced it in both sides. I suppose so. Yeah. Well, I mean... It, I don't know how you're envisioning doing this, but if you don't mind me asking of you, you've never done exactly what you do in any other job. Um, well, I mean, do you want to tell us what you do? Yeah, I, I mean, now I sort of run the operations of the the business, I guess. Mm. Um, but initially I started, like you, as a writer mm. back in January 2020 researching scripts around coronavirus, whatever that was, um, and helping out Ali with, with that. And that started off from just like a cold email being like to Ali, I'd seen that he did, was advertising for an editor back in the autumn before, and I knew I couldn't edit. So I pitched a different skill set, which was writing, and he happened to need help. And it kind of developed from there from two days a week initially. Actually, it was just per script initially. It's like a hundred pounds per script. And then it went up to like two days a week and then three day, four day, and then eventually kind of full time. Um, and that, again, has developed from being a writer to setting up the our live course that's done really well and then kind of running the business side of it as we've employed more and more people. Um, what exactly was your question? Yes, yeah, sorry. So my question was then going to be, do you get that sense of imposter syndrome where you are now the... Yes. General manager of a multi-million yes. dollar business. I've, I've kind of had it the whole time I've been here in terms of like when you're writing and you're writing, especially on a freelance basis, mm. every single thing you do feels like, shit, this could be the last thing I do. Yeah. <laughs> and I might not even get a reply. And then it's like two days a week and you think, I've got to kind of be putting in at least 16 hours if it's like eight hour days mm. so that I know that I'm putting in the effort. And then three days a week, then it's full time. And then it's sort of making sure that we're cranking out three videos a week, uh, which in itself, when there's only me, Ali and Christian, Elizabeth was obviously the PA, but doing all the 
work and three videos a week is, is a lot mm. so then there's still imposter syndrome around am i producing enough content um and then when i remember distinctly like this time last year when i ali said oh yeah i i don't want to do one-on-ones anymore you do them it's <laughs> typically ali thing to do i'm like oh shit i've never managed anyone before mm-hmm. um and so there was a massive imposter syndrome sense there as well yeah. starting that uh so i guess going back to your original question yeah uh although i've never been a creator per se like ali in terms of having a youtube channel having a podcast that kind of thing there always has been that bit of imposter syndrome working in the company itself yeah um interestingly when i was at kind of university and doing live radio and things like that i never got that sense interesting imposter syndrome i think potentially because it was kind of one step removed from feeling like it mattered yeah (laughs) i get that (laughs) um yeah you know it, it always felt like oh this is like a as you said earlier like a university society thing yeah and ultimately no one's probably going to listen and no one's probably going to do anything with it mm-hmm. and even when i was doing interviews with people who otherwise would be probably classified as big names uh i never got that sense of imposter syndrome yeah um but now we do it as a which i think might be an interesting thing to dig into with some people it's like when we do it as a job and we're being paid for it there's an innate pressure that comes with that yeah even though I do love what we do and I never come to work thinking, oh, this is a chore. Mm. I get stressed, don't get me wrong, but like I don't see it as a chore. But there's still that kind of innate pressure of I need to perform to a certain extent, Mm -hmm. I guess. Um, Yeah, did you find, was there ever a distinct point where when you moved from writer to manager to general manager, CEO, whatever you want to call it, was, was that ever a distinct moment where Ali came to you and said, I'd like you to be this now. And therefore there was a feeling of, oh gosh, this is now my role. Or have you kind of moved naturally into these positions and looking back thought, oh, hang on, I've been the COO for the last two months now. Probably uh, probably, probably the latter. Mm. Um, I guess that the, the main point where that might not have been that and it was a more defined thing was sort of back in autumn of last year when we were thinking of hiring someone for the general manager and I was basically saying to Ali, I'm, I'm doing like five or six of the 10 things that you want this person to do. Mm. And I can learn the other things, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's when he was like, okay, fine. Let's see how it goes for the next three months. We had already candidates lined up and things like that. But he was like, let's see how it goes for the next three months. And that's when I kind of did feel again, like, oh, this is now my role. This mm. is the things I need to do. That's probably the first time that I felt that, to yeah. be honest. Um, did you have any of like what what experiences this is not me like checking how fit you are for the role because i you you do it well we've been here long enough to see that you do it well but has that entirely come from just working under pressure and growing into the positions you've been put or did you i think so to a certain extent and i think linking back to kind of the, the subject of this podcast in terms of being a in the exploring the world of creators i think this is a distinctly unique sector mm-hmm. that's growing out mm-hmm through which I don't think necessarily that traditional corporate skills transfer as directly into this new world. There are certainly aspects which do, don't get me wrong. Mm. But I suspect there are aspects, especially given the company we work in and we know what Ali's like in terms of his nature, Mm. there's a degree to which you need to have a certain set of skills to be able to cope with the rapid change. It's a bit like startup atmosphere, to Mm -hmm. be honest. The rapid change and the management of new people, the changing systems constantly, the changing organizational chart constantly, and that kind of thing, Mm. which I think are not necessarily as transferable unless you had 
grown up with the company, which mm. I have. And I think that's probably the unique advantage that I do have. I might not have necessarily the experience of managing 50 people. Like, mm. obviously, I don't. I admit that. But I do have kind of, I am the only person who's been, aside from Christian, who's been on the ground since more or less the start of when we mm. start, when it started to grow as a company. And I think that helps massively in terms of understanding where everything sits because everything's grown up around me and I understand yeah. what everything does. Do you think there's an advantage then to having such a low average age in the company in the sense that people here are, I mean, the average age is like 27 or 28 or something mm. like that. Um, 27.3. See, you're on it. No, <laughs> at all. Um, because people around that age are less likely to have lived in a corporate structure for a 10 year career or something like that. And so naturally, I mean, especially, I mean, I suppose I'd had two, two one year jobs yeah. since coming out of uni, but I knew I was going to be moving on from them. Um, they were never exactly my thing. Um, so therefore I was never that concerned with the corporate structure of it. I was never trying to climb those ladders because I knew that my aim was to stay there for a bit and then leave. Do you think people who are like that, who maybe haven't been in a corporate world are more suited to something like this? Or is it possible for say a 40 year old with all the right skills like on the ground to transition into a company like this? Yeah, I think it varies. I think, I think it probably is definitely an advantage if someone hasn't had the exposure to that kind of environment because mm. they don't have to unlearn stuff mm. to relearn it into this environment. Yeah. But, you know, Ali and I have been working through a number of different business books and they're all kind of saying very similar corporate-related things. So there are aspects of the corporate world that are infusing into our business. Sure. But that's kind of more of a function of the fact that in order to run a proper business, there are certain uh, kind of ground rules that have worked for tens of, about tens of years, thousands mm -hmm. of years, tens of years. <laughs> and so there are aspects which we, we can take from the whole business world and business environment, business theories. And that's mm -hmm. why we're creating this podcast, why we're creating this brand, because it's going to fuse them together, mm -hmm. the creator and the entrepreneurial side of things. Um, and so I, I do think there is an advantage of having a slightly younger aged uh, workforce. But mm. that being said, I think there's a lot of value that we get from those who are slightly older in the company have had more experience with either working in um, the corporate world for a while or other aspects where there is definitely stuff that I've learned from them mm -hmm. that I probably wouldn't have learned if I hadn't have had that mm. connection. Yeah. Um, yeah, I see that. It feels like the business has grown up in that way. Yeah. You, is there a point at which you... I think it needs that... Uh, that there, there is a there is a degree to which all businesses need some level of maturity, mm -hmm. and I think that definitely does help having a bit more experience. Yeah, but as I said, I think the experience you know I've been here now like two and a half years, nearly two and a half years. Um, that experience alone, I think, is very valuable. Yeah, given that this is as we discussed earlier, kind of a very new and evolving sector of the job market. Yeah, did you find there was some resistance? Uh, not necessarily from Ali, but all from you initially to businessifying what was essentially a YouTube channel started in somebody's bedroom. In yeah, terms of uh, those principles and thinking, oh, is this becoming too corporate? Should we scale it back? I think that's always been probably at the back of both of our minds. I think Ali was res resistant to it to start with, and he's sort of probably lent more into it now than I have. Mm -hmm. um, but I think there's still that hesitation on some things, on little things, 
you know, there's some things that Ali is very much against because it's too corporate. I can't yeah. think of a particular example now. And there's other things where I sometimes think we're going sort of too far down the road of this structure has worked for this company, therefore it will work for us, mm-hmm. which feels like a very corporate thing to kind of transfer across when we're very unique. Yeah. Um, so I think it works on both both sides of the fence there in terms of both of us having we kind of lent more into it because as i said as the business grows up there is a need to incorporate some aspects mm. but i think we're both resistant to other aspects of it yeah as we as we grow mm-hmm. um which i think is is probably a healthy way to approach it mm-hmm. um and speaking of growth how have you felt in the last six to eight months where this thing that started as you freelancing one mm. script a week or whatever is now a 20 odd 20 ish person business with an office in central London. You've had to move to London. Mm. It's become this thing. I mean, you nearly had to move to Dubai for, for this kind of thing. Um, so close. Yeah. So close. <laughs> Think of the tax breaks. Um, yeah. How, how does it feel now, like seeing so many people around? What was it like expanding the team and being kind of one of the, obviously spearheading that expansion compared to how it started with you being a writer? Yeah, it's weird. It feels like it's been a lot longer than two years, if I'm honest. Um, like you saying earlier that you've been here as long as like Gareth, who was our kind of first hire, Gareth and Yakupu, our first hire like this time last year or a bit before this time last year you've been as here as long as they were when you joined mm. like that that feels strange to me that timeline mm. doesn't match up in my head um even though that that is time that's how it works <laughs> um yeah. but i think it's expanded so quickly but at the same time like last year feels like a very long feels like a very long time ago mm-hmm. even though everything seems to be going at a rapid pace and moving very fast mm. and so it doesn't really i don't I don't know whether it's the case if it hasn't like sunk in yet that we're a team of 20 people or whether it's just we've got so used to it so quickly that mm. it's just happened. Mm. And I think for something Ali and I were discussing when we were doing the interview last week, it's kind of the work and the life has become so entwined for both of us in the past couple of years, mm. um, which in a way is a bad thing, work-life balance kind of thing, but it's also a way and it's, it's a good thing because we both very much care about the business. Mm. And now we've got, certainly for me, 20 people to kind of look after and keep the, make sure the business stays sustainable, which is partly why we're creating this brand. Um, so I think that's, you know, it, it, having expanded, it's not like I've taken it more seriously than I was already. Mm. But I think it's it's over the past two years, it's just gradually become more and more part of kind of what I do in, in my life that, you know, mm. I think it's as much, Ali's obviously, it's, he's the face of a channel, it's his company, he's the one making the money and, and things like that. But it feels very much like I'm intrinsically involved with, with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's sort of that, 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 there's a very blurred line between what is work and what is life. And I, I'm not annoyed by that. I don't get frustrated by that. That's good. Um, because I don't see it as a chore. I think if I was like leaving here at eight o'clock every evening being like, oh, fuck, why am I doing this? Mm-hmm. Then I'd be more vocal. Well, obviously, I'd be more vocal, but like, I, I don't feel like that. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if that really answers what your question was. No, no, I think it does. I think it does. Yeah, I think that's a good place to be. This is certainly the first job that I've had where I 
don't feel that real sense of just a weight in the stomach when you hear the alarm go off in the morning yeah it's fun mm. it's all really fun and sure like it's occasionally stressful certainly less for me than i think it is for you um but it the day in day out stuff that happens here is just really fun mm. and i still i still can't quite believe that it is a job at all which is i suppose what the point of this yeah. is is that a lot of people wouldn't and there's this looming sense that this will just collapse because it's too nice and jobs like this don't exist and i remember actually when i was applying for this i actually i've i've written a i was writing a kind of daily thoughts journal on notion mm. in the build-up where i'd applied i'd gotten through the first couple of stages and i was waiting to find out if i'd got it and maybe then there was like another there was a script that we had to write or, or whatever it was but at all the one of those entries say i met a really nice guy called angus, <laughs> angus parker uh no um <laughs> but it, it was properly like i had convinced myself that it wasn't possible because it just seemed the job description sounded just too nice and i i couldn't picture having that as the thing you get up for in the, the morning mm. um and so it was extremely bizarre when it finally came through and then there was this weird month where i was seeing out my last job and waiting for this one or it still didn't feel real. The stress was gone because there was no longer the waiting to see if I had it, but I still couldn't picture what a job like this would look like. Mm. And I almost feel like I've gotten used to it some days. And I tried to put myself back in normal, normal job, pre this job, uh, that kind of headspace so that I can reappreciate how fun it is to just get to write stuff every day for a YouTube channel, at least initially. Mm. And, and now, you know, writing newsletters and, trying to grow a podcast like this for, for work, like not even having to shove this into spare time. Yeah. It's, it's the work. That's just really fun. Yeah. And I, it, it's, it feels like it shouldn't be allowed. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think I would echo that in terms of like getting up in the morning. I don't feel like, oh, I've got to get in for half past seven because I've got to get to work. Yeah. It just feels like, oh, I'm just getting up and I'm going into the office because yeah. that's what we do. Yeah. Um, and I think there is, a, there is sometimes when I don't think back enough to a time before when mm. I didn't have a job and I was doing freelance gigs and things like that. And it was just like trying to find the next, the next gig. Yeah. Um, and that, that period, like when I came out of university between, so I graduated in July and joined here in January, mm. like August to September was like truly appalling for me. And then October, November, December was like just doing freelance gigs and stuff and, and trying to get myself back up to a place where I could actually have a job. Yeah. And I think I forget that very often mm. when I think that, that then that's transformed into what it is now. Yeah. But, yeah. But it also speaks to the fact that that can happen and it doesn't take much. It can just take, be a cold email to someone. Yeah. And all these things can happen. I think that's, again, part of this podcast is raising awareness for some people to be able to know that this thing exists mm. in the modern world. It's not something that's like, oh, yes, to a certain extent, both of us were lucky to get this job. But it's not like lucky in the sense of it doesn't exist elsewhere no no and i think being being in here now it's, it's suddenly noticing and seeing that other youtubers have little teams of people that's an awareness that i didn't really have before i was conscious that probably logan paul had someone follow him around with a camera but i wasn't really aware of the infrastructure that lives underneath a lot of larger or even not so large youtubers mm. um you know like outsourcing editing when you're at 
10,000 subscribers or, or less. Um, that's like a, already a mini member of your team. That's an opportunity for someone to fill that gap or even like you did reaching out with, with a cold email. And, and that would be something I'd kind of like to ask when we have other, I feel like I need a more succinct way to refer to employees of creatorpreneurs. Um, but when we talk to those people, just knowing how it was that they found it, because a cold email is one way in your case, in our case, or in my sort of round of yeah, people that got hired, more. it was a more formal thing. But again, that was luck that I, I discovered this channel like three weeks to a month before I, the job applications came out. You have COVID when you had it. Also. I did have, I had COVID when I discovered the channel and I only discovered the channel because I had COVID and I thought, gosh, this is 10 days where I'm going to do nothing. When I get out of this, I'm going to be the most productive human being in the world, which is why I searched productivity, which is why I found the channel. And three weeks later, the job applications came out. Um, and so it could very easily have just not happened mm. at all. And I would still be in the place that I think probably a lot of, hopefully the people listening to this or people generally are in, which is where you don't even know to ask if such a thing exists. You assume that, okay, the people who got big on YouTube did so because of, they put a lot of time and work in, they got a little bit lucky, blah, blah, blah. But actually for every YouTuber you see that's that big, there are probably at least five, 10 jobs that are vacant that you could fill with some quite rudimentary skills. And actually, maybe this is going off on a bit of a tangent, but coming back to what you said earlier, yes, there are certain ways in which having a job like this and working in this kind of environment, you need to have a certain combination of traits, potentially. But I think the skills that they leverage, I actually talked briefly about this on my own YouTube channel. You can mm. subscribe if you feel like it. Um, George Blackman, that's my name. Um, where apart from something like a video editor, if you want to be a really good video editor, that's quite specific in terms of really good social media knowledge. That's maybe a bit more niche, but a lot of, for example, there were four writers that got hired when, mm. well, me being one of them. Um, and that didn't require any specialist knowledge. It was just, I think a lot of people could have applied for this job with the ability to write that they already have. They just might not have thought to do so. And I suspect there are other positions within the company that, you actually don't need to have particularly outrageous skills uh, in order to sell yourself and show that you can do a slightly more weird job mm. like this. Mm. Hmm. Mm -hmm. You reflect how, how, on that. Yeah. How, um, going back to something we touched on earlier in terms of perception, how have like your friends family reacted to having a job like this and what do you think we need to try to do with this podcast in changing that hmm uh i know it's become a bit of a meme in my house um my mum was she was wanted me to be absolutely certain that this wasn't a freelance job um she she mentioned that quite a few times <laughs> And uh, so now one of my housemates, whenever I come home, he's like, you weren't freelancing today, were you? <laughs> I was just like, no, no, it's all right. He tells me off. Um, but no, in fact, my, my, both my mum and my dad were very, very supportive of, as soon as I told them what the job would be, this is before I'd even applied, they were both super supportive. But it does take a lot of constantly explaining what it is. Um, in terms of other people, I mean, I, I, I mentioned this to some of the other guys um, yesterday. 
I feel a bit bad if you're meeting new people and you're going around. And obviously one of the generic questions is, what do you do? Uh, the teachers and the lawyers and the plumbers, I don't know. It takes, they say what they do and everyone's like, oh, and then it gets to you and they ask what you do and it, they have just so many more questions and the, the spotlight stays on you for a bit because people just don't understand it. And I think a lot of the time, the questions that come from that are, but how does such a thing make money? And you tell them how much money it makes, uh, not a brag, I mean, for the business itself. Yeah. Um, and they want to, they just don't understand how yeah. putting videos on the internet nets a business so many millions of dollars. And so it's, I think a, a bit of that really would be one of the aims would be explaining the ways that this can lead to money, the different ways that being a creatorpreneur can lead to money and reminding people that it's okay to make quite a lot of money from doing it as a creatorpreneur. Um, because ultimately, it, it's, as Ali said on his channel loads, it's providing value at scale. Mm. And as long as you're doing something good and people are enjoying it, it's not your fault that there are potentially thousands of people benefiting from what it is you do when pre-internet, you could only provide that value on a one-to-one -one basis. Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, potentially just enlightening people as to the power of that scale. Um, and showing that you you don't need even you don't need a million subscribers you could perfectly easily and people do make a living off of a hundred thousand subscribers or even fewer Less than that, yeah. yeah like you know twitch streamers getting um you know money through that kind of thing or through getting sponsors on a newsletter yeah. or, or whatever it is selling your own merch creating products that even a small twitter audience might really get value from because if you think if you're selling something uh, you know a course at okay let's go uk but like 200 pounds to be making the same as a like a pretty livable salary mm. you need to sell 10 of them per month and if you've only had to make it one time it suddenly you start to see how that scales up and what the potential is so i yeah enlightening people as to the methods of making money through this yeah i think the other perception is when you bring that up around the money aspect mm. The immediate kind of connection that people seem to make in their head is online money scam yeah like that's the kind of yes train of thought they go down and i, I, think I went for a beer with two friends the other day and they were both like oh so you're scamming people now yeah i was like yeah right no but yeah <laughs> i think that's another kind of educational aspect of telling people this is the one of the new ways that people learn yeah educating people online yeah and yes like it would be naive to suggest that there are not scamming a lot of scamming courses out there, scammy courses, any other scammy products mm -hmm. on the internet. It is a marketplace where those things do exist at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. But you get that on the high street as well. You get people scamming people in real life for millennia. So like those have always existed. The internet does provide a very fertile place for that to exist as well. So yes, but I think there is a degree to which that perception has maybe taken hold beyond what it should be. And that's, I feel like somewhere where we can provide a bit of value in educating people that this is a legitimate area mm -hmm. and it's a growing area and it's an area that you should be getting involved in if you, if you want to, whether that's as a creator or someone who works for a creator. Yeah. No, agreed. Sounds like a good aim. Yeah. Um, who's your, ideal guest dream guest hmm. um 
Oof. Well, I mean, of the ones that we have currently on, on, a, on our little list. No, no, no. I mean, big. Forever. Yeah. <laughs> that is a creatorpreneur. Oof. You go first. To clarify that point, the ones that are currently on our list are big. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, who is your dream guest for like season five, season six, if we get to that? Which we will. Sure. You go first. Hmm. We can trim some of the pensive thought bits. I like pensive thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> if we talk through it, we're harder to trim it. <laughs> um, who would be my dream guest for this podcast? Because my, my instinct is to say Barack Obama, but he's not done <laughs> the creatorpreneur thing <laughs> as far as I know. Um, yeah, or Elon Musk or someone like that. Yeah, I mean that. I mean that would be sure. if we if we bend the creatorpreneur definition for somewhat. Yeah, <laughs> um, but he has to support Twitter. So, yeah, he owns you know, Twitter. Um, you can't get much more of a creator or an entrepreneur than owning a social media platform. That's very true, actually. He's bought his way into creatorpreneurialism. Yes. yes. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I haven't kind of gone into this wanting to have a dream guest, I don't think. Hmm. Um, and I don't necessarily know if we... It's been an unfair question, I guess, because I don't know whether we should, because I suspect some of the best guests will probably be those we... Most people probably haven't heard of, mm -hmm. because they'll probably be the most either inspiring or surprising for most people in terms of either how they're making money or how they're leveraging their small audience or something like yes, that. Yes, yeah, that's true. So it might not be the big names. That said, if Mr. Musk does want to come on our podcast, I'm not going to complain. <laughs> oh, I suppose, I mean, like, he's been interviewed till the cows come home, so I don't know what else we get out of him, but it would be very interesting to speak to Mr. Beast. Yes. That would be cool. He's, like, one of... The, in terms of like he perfectly fits the definition of creatorpreneur yeah. and he's the biggest YouTuber in the world uh, so that would be very cool um, yeah that's yeah. mine okay well we can but hope we can to uh, start with who we've got on our list currently and get going with that yeah I'm excited I am too yeah I am too cool let's hope it works <laughs>